Church History Matters, episode 45. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of Church History Matters. My name is Joseph Knowles. And I'm Ruben Rosales. And we are back, continuing our series on the rise of the papacy. Um, we've been Final? T- probably. Yeah. We'll see how it. We'll see how it goes. I, I mean, I think there'll be some other heretics and heroes that might come yes. about, but that might include a couple others. Right. But... We'll see how it goes. I had maybe. Well, we'll see. We'll just see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we we kind of did. Uh, we're proceeding to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. So last last time we covered some of the popes that we could say, yes, there are commendable things. And now we'll kind of dive into the not good and yeah. the very not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, we have This Week in Church History. This episode will be coming to you, Lord willing, on... Wednesday, May 10th, and this is an event that occurred on May 12th. It was actually an excommunication that was issued by one of the guys that I think we're going to talk about today, Alexander the Sixth. Yeah. So on May 12th, 1497, so 526 years ago, he excommunicated a Franciscan friar by the name of Geromolo Savonarola. Oh yeah, that's easy to say. Yeah, right. I I I might have mispronounced his first name. It's something with a G. Good old uh what can it be Jeffrey, you know? Right. All these fifteenth century Italians or um in, in any event, he was a Franciscan friar and for a while was kind of an itinerant preacher. Um and Alexander the Sixth told him to knock it off because he was preaching against a lot of the corruptions of the roman catholic church and there were many yes especially during the time of alexander the sixth yes which again a preview of what we're going to talk about but it came to the point where he told he told him hey you got to stop preaching for a while he's you know sovereign Norola said okay i will abide by this and then at a certain point he decided no i can't do that i cannot stay silent i must keep preaching about these things so he did and on may 12th 1497 he was in fact excommunicated by the Pope, Alexander VI, within a couple of years, he would be executed by burning along with two other um, two other guys. And Savonarola, you might, maybe it's a familiar name, maybe it's not, uh, but he's kind of looked at as almost like a proto-Protestant. Mm. Now, I think you would, you would read probably some of his stuff and some of Martin Luther's stuff and say, okay, yeah, I can see that, but... He was definitely more in the vein, I think, of a um, an Erasmus type reformer. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's reform within, and that's how Luther started out too. Mm-hmm. But I think you don't get as sharp a break from the church with Savonarola as you do with Martin Luther and who we consider the magisterial reformers these days. But in any event, he kind of is looked at as like one of the very last forerunners of what would become the Protestant Reformation, but it was May 12, 1497, 526 years ago this week in church history when he was excommunicated. Yeah, you know, I met uh, one of my old co- co-workers uh, whose last name was Latimer, and I think I mentioned it before, but he, yeah. was, he was telling me how he's like, oh yeah, one of my uh, one of my ancestors was burned at the stake for being a heretic. Yeah. And then I looked him up and I was like, uh, actually, no, <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was martyred. 
Yeah. <laughs> he, he was one of the right ones. Well, all right. So we uh, discussed uh, two episodes ago. No. Yeah, one episode ago. Yeah, Good. last time. Gregor. Yes. One, the greats. Yes. Now we're going to go to the worst. Yes. So we talked about Leo and Gregory last time, and we're going to start out with a Gregory this yeah. time. Yeah, Gregory the Seventh. Yes, Gregory the <laughs> Seventh. So he lived in the 11th century from around 1015 to 1085. He was uh, Pope from 1073 until his death in 1085. He was actually born as, and I, with most of these guys, I tried to go in and grab like what we know they're name right. as Pope. Like, right. who were they before that? Uh, he was Hildebrand of Sovana. So, there within um, Italy. And most of these guys, hey, you're going to notice a, you're going to notice some themes, but most of them turn out to be Italians of one stripe or another. He was the papal advisor to Pope Nicholas II. Um, so, he played an important role in the Lateran Synod of 1059, which, of course, that's not, you know, common knowledge. Right. Um, but one of the decrees of that synod concerned the election of the Pope, and it was only supposed to be elected or voted on by the College of Cardinals. So what was it before that? Uh, it was kind of like, it was a little bit more of a free-for-all. So really? you might have, uh, you obviously you wouldn't have just these cardinals who you know, were involved in the election. It's interesting. You would think that if this office was a biblical one, there might be some kind of precedent set in scripture that would... Right. Offer us up some think. guidance on that. Right? Yeah. But alas. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So he was involved there in that um, in that synod. But what he's probably most known for is his involvement in the investiture controversy. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. And we in, have, in passing. In passing, right? yeah. So this is, um, he gets in, butts heads with Henry IV, who's the Holy Roman Emperor. And this is something that obviously has not existed, the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, since the 1800s, although by the 1800s, it wasn't a Voltaire famously said it's not holy, it's not Roman, it's not an empire. It was mm. just a conglomeration of German uh, principalities and city-states. But at the time, you know, in the 11th century, it was pretty much the power in Central Europe, uh, more powerful than France and England and all those guys. But the investiture controversy to review was this controversy... Uh, a dispute between the church and the emperor. Spheres of authority. Yeah. Who has the power to appoint bishops in the church? Right. Of course, the Pope says, that's me. And the the Holy Roman Emperor says, well, yes, but also no. Like, mm. I, I get in there too. I have a say. So Gregory, and Gregory the Seventh, so Hildebrand, after he becomes Pope, 1073, held that it was the Pope alone who could appoint and depose churchmen. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that you're going to, I mean, neither one of us takes the view of the Episcopal church where you sure. have, you know, a primate at the top who appoints everybody on down. Right. But if you're going to have that, it should be within the church. Yes. Um, not the King of England or whoever appointing. Right. right. The civil authority uh, and the civil magistrate has no arena, no reason to be in that arena at all. Right. So as far as that goes, we'd say, okay, yeah, Gregory, yeah. we're we're on board with that. But he but, he didn't stop there. But yeah, then comes the petty, right? And that is when, uh, man, seriously, he said there was a couple of things uh, that statements he made that planned his outline, uh, that outlined his reforms that he wanted to make. And the first one is the one that kind of really brought to mind that 
these are just these are nothing but mere sinful men mm-hmm. and the fact that they would try to convince themselves and others that they were they were more was was is crazy to yeah me. oh yeah uh but the first statement was all princes shall kiss the feet of the pope alone right that's wow yeah <laughs> what do you even it's it's so i mean it's obviously very foreign to us as 21st century americans but even at the time that was that was still pretty radical well the th- the thing that it reminded me of was we have no idea of the sinfulness of our own hearts mm. and somebody who does a really good job of pointing that out is uh pagan as far as i know though he perhaps is he does a lot of scripture study but I don't know that he's a Christian or if he's confessed true faith yet, but Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he writes about in one of his books is don't let your children do things that makes you not like them. Right. And he said the reason for that is because you don't understand the depravity of your own heart and your own capability to hate your child. Mm. And so like that's a very modern and relatable example. But think of... Think about where these people were. Like, there was no... You're living, essentially, in isolated communes. As I say that very loosely. It's not mm-hmm. not actual communes, but villages, city-states. And so, people were pretty isolated. Mm-hmm. And so, you saw a lot of nepotism. You saw a lot yeah. of... Oh, and we will see some nepotism. Yes. <laughs> a lot of other things. And it's like, oh, how could they do this? And it's like, you don't understand. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing for us to look back and say, yeah, that was bad. But we need to remember the depravity of our own hearts mm-hmm. and understand that we yeah. are very capable of doing oh, every yes. single one of these things. Oh, yes. So anyhow. Yeah, there's two was, other. To, I mean, this is a long list of things that yeah. he puts in his papable uh, Dictatus Papi in 1075. So the papable is just like a proclamation. Yeah. And they were in Latin. And usually they take their name for the first few words. So Yeah. I do uh, declare. Right. Basically. basically. Yeah. So the next two that he puts in there. Uh, are really going to bring things to a head. But what were those? Uh, yes. Uh, the second one is, it may be permitted to him to depose emperors, meaning that he is now inserting himself into the sphere of authority in the civil magistrate right. arena. And that is not good no. and also wrong. Yeah. Uh, and thirdly, he may absolve subjects from their fealty to wicked men. Now, what that means is he's going to... He says that he, as the Pope, has the authority and power to release citizens from the fealty or faithfulness to their king, the loyalty yeah, to loyalty, their king. Yeah. And so that's essentially, again, he think he's inserting himself into a place in the sphere of authority that he hasn't been given by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's actually, I mean, if you can read up a little bit more on this time period and you read at least these three in particular... It's a direct shot. Oh yeah, I mean, he's he's directly taking on Henry Henry the Fourth. So, not unsurprisingly, Henry you know writes to Gregory and says, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna have to object to you saying that you, uh, appointing you can appoint the bishops." Which okay, we would probably side with Gregory on that one. Right. But he says, "Oh, by the way, also you're a false pope and you need to step down uh, because of all the other stuff." Right. So naturally, what was the response from Gregory? Was so, of course. Well, well, you're out. You're out of here, bud. He excommunicates him, um, which was at least you know 
not we would say yes it's in the it's within the authority of the church to say when a person is being has absolutely communicate yeah this reminds just i laugh because it reminds me of uh the naked gun two and a half (laughs) i think that was the one uh where where he's the umpire and he's like you're out of here he throws like you can't throw me out of here you're out of here it's like you have two umpires trying to throw each other out of the game right yep so yeah if he had just stopped there uh well i mean you still would have had a contact conflict but Gregory doesn't stop there. He says, oh, by the way, not only are you excommunicated, but I also depose you as the German king, mm. and I release your subjects from your, their oaths to you. Um, which, that was that was a huge deal, because we think of an emperor as like this all-powerful person, like mm. Queen Victoria, Empress of India, like he, her, her authority is unquestioned. Right. But Holy Roman Emperor was... It was a little bit more aspirational at times than it was uh, functionally an empire. So Henry really needed the loyalty of these German nobles mm. to maintain his position. And they were all too eager uh, because he had, you know, he was not on great terms with all of them. So they said, oh, great. We're, we don't have to be loyal to him anymore. This is perfect. Uh, start up the rebellion. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens. So obviously Gregory won this round. <laughs> yeah. Big, big time. Um, so Henry realizes, well, I gotta, I have to bend the knee. I have to go and kiss his feet basically. Um, and which is what he does. So he travels to where Gregory is staying. We've talked about this before yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, he's staying at the castle in Canosa. He's going to make a personal apology, beg for forgiveness. And as the story goes, he waits outside the gates of the castle for three days. Mm-hmm. On top of that, he may have been wearing a hair shirt to show his remorse right so as if you're not familiar with what a hair shirt is it's it's exactly what it sounds like it's just a shirt that's made of hair and the point is to make you extremely uncomfortable right um same thing that you know if you've watched the uh watched or read the da vinci code where the guy is uh hitting himself with whatever it is yeah um so yes gregory says all right fine i will lift your excommunication um because you have showed remorse so go and sin no more mm-hmm. but it didn't last a few years later gregory throws his support behind a rival candidate for the throne um who had been elected by those rebellious nobles that he gave the go-ahead to go ahead and rebel against this wicked man right and he excommunicates henry again so he's in he's out he's in he's out um, but it's it's really interesting though because this is and i don't mean to be uh, a dead horse but this was what happens when you try because of the sinfulness of men when you try to implement a theonomic theocratic type of rule of law where you have both spheres of authority put into one person right it's not going to go well yeah and uh and this is the kind of stuff that obviously did happen mm-hmm. and could happen and will definitely happen if you ever get something like this started again. Right. Yep. So, and it doesn't end well for Gregory because Henry says, that's fine, buddy. Uh, I'm bringing my army down to Rome, mm-hmm. lay siege to the city. Uh, Gregory has to flee. He does get out, you know, alive. Uh, but then Henry he says, you know what? Hey, we don't need Gregory. He names this guy, uh, Gibert of Ravenna, who was another bishop, says, hey, you're Pope now. <laughs> And he's known as Clement III, although I think he he is probably one of the ones that is in the list of not anti, recognized. anti-popes. Yeah. yeah, not recognized. Yeah. Yeah. 
And for good reason, because, I mean, well, a lot of stuff went wrong here, but yeah. it <laughs> is not so in the authority things. of Henry to say, hey, you are right. the Pope. Exactly. Exactly. Um, not that we would believe in the office anyway, but... Right. If you're following the rules that they had set out for sure. themselves, sure. and that kind of everybody had agreed to, with that caveat. Yeah. So, who's next in the bad? Uh, well, we're kind of trying to go in mostly chronological order here. Okay, um, well, hold on. Yeah, let's, let's see who you got. Didn't we say something about... Uh, we'd get an honorable mention for this one fella. Oh, yeah, Alexand- Alexander? No, it was... Oh, yeah, Stephen Sixth. Okay, yeah. He gets an honorable mention for the bad. Okay. Uh, I think Alexander should be an honorable mention for the ugly. Yeah. He could be the poster could, child yeah, for the ugly, probably. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Uh, yeah, tell us about Stephen Pope the Pope Stephen the Sixth also referred to some sources as Stephen the Seventh. Uh, he began his gr- brief tenure as Pope in 896 with a grisly spectacle. He had the body of his predecessor mm. dug up and put on trial. So they basically dug up this guy's corpse, put him in his vestments, mm. and sat him on the throne while he, and wow, this, I, again, I don't, put him on trial for blasphemy. Mm. One of the sources I read said that they actually had bishops there as this pope was calling out, this is what you did wrong. These are the charges against you that somebody else was over there moving his jaw and making him, you know, basically answering <laughs> for this guy. Oh, I don't know if that's goodness. true or not, but I just that, I hope that it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just to show just how absurd and how really horrific this scene was. Like mm. this is not good. And I think there was there was even a lot of information about this guy. The, the bishop who was commanded to do that was like, this is not okay. Right. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing this. Um, oh, my goodness. But it was said that the reason, one of the reasons, rather, that the this Pope Alexander, is it Alexander? No. Stephen. Stephen. The reason Pope Stephen felt like it was necessary to do this was because, you know, then, as is the case now, you have this idea of, of, legend that kind of grows after a pope has been right and so he didn't want it was you know it was said that they wanted this pope stephen wanted to keep him from living on in a good terms Mm. that was the reason he had him dug up so that he could you know basically say hey this guy is guilty of blasphemy Mm -hmm. and one historian's account says the corpse was provided with a council meaning like a lawyer right (laughs) Who wisely remained silent while Pope Stephen raved and screamed his insults at it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that... the, they ended up cutting off the three fingers of his right hand, which were the fingers that he used to bless, and then dumped his body into the Tiber River. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But Bad. Stephen, Stephen <laughs> ended up being strangled to death by his own enemies the following year. Wow. Yeah, I mean... Probably made some enemies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you're gonna, you're gonna make enemies if you, you oh, know, yeah. do stuff like that. Oh yeah. So anyhow. Yeah. Honorable mention. Pope Stephen the Sixth, sometimes referred to as Stephen the Seventh, bad guy. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next up is um, Boniface. A Boniface. Bonifacio. Yes, there were many. Uh, this is Boniface the Eighth. So he lived from about 1230 to October of 1303. 
and he was pope from December 24th of 1294 until his death. I was actually born as Benedetto Caetani, I guess. Caetani, uh, I think. I don't think the E is Caetani. Caetani. Uh, and the town of, I think it would be pronounced Agnani. Agnani, yeah, sounds right. Um, right. It's basically southeast of Rome. Um, his mother was a niece of Pope Alexander IV and his father a member of an Italian noble family. Again, this is the mm. theme that we'll be com- keep coming mm. back to. Yes. Um, he was involved in the church from an early age and kind of rose through the ranks until he was eventually made a cardinal by Pope Martin IV. And he's significant because he was the last of the French popes mm. to have his seat in Rome rather than in France. So I think we also mentioned that in previous episodes, the Avignon papacy, where the popes p- picked up and moved to France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a, for a time. Yeah, for a short season. Yeah. So Boniface, his... Uh, well, maybe I'll, I'll I'll say this this part first because I thought that was this interesting, and I had I I vaguely remembered this from uh, literature, um, but if you're familiar with uh, Dante Alighieri, yeah, um, who write wrote the Divine Comedy, and there's three parts to it. Of course, the last part is heaven, and before that is purgatory. But the first part, he's he's in hell yeah. or the inferno. Dante's yeah. inferno. And were there bon- layers to hell? Yes. Levels. So there were there are nine levels. Yeah, I thought it was and, seven. Yeah, nine levels. Yeah, there's nine levels, sense. and like the ninth level is at the bottom. That's yeah. like where the worst. The people who are. talk in the movie theaters and don't put the <laughs> don't return the grocery cart <laughs> to the, in the ninth circle. Yeah, they're in the ninth um, circle. So. In any event, Boniface makes an appearance in Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Um, and he appears in the eighth circle of hell, Oof. which again is just before the ninth and lowest level. Yeah. Um, so Dante, this was really interesting. This I didn't, and I didn't remember this part, but um, the story Dante's Inferno is actually dated, and it takes place in the spring of the year thirteen hundred. Mm. Uh, which is significant because <laughs> remember this is while Boniface was still alive. Yeah. He had three years to go. So according to Dante's story, and again, his is very allegorical. He's not making, an, I think, a real theological claims about what hell is like. Right. Uh, just trying to illustrate that there are, there, there may be degrees of punishment um, that could be worse. Anyway, there's, not to open that can of worms, but there's like, right. you can understand how people could get there. Oh, um, yeah, sure. I mean, Jesus' statements of, it would be better if that person would have never right. lived, like, well, that's gonna be pretty bad, and then yeah, he, he, Jesus seems to allude to there being levels, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's not explicit, right? Um, so, according to uh, Dante in the story, um, those guilty of simony were condemned. What's that simony, What's simony is the selling of church offices. Mm. They were condemned to be placed basically. Go ahead. Where does that come from? It comes from Simon the magician yes. in the Book of Acts. So mm. yeah, that's where it takes his name. Where he he tells Peter, hey. See that Holy Spirit stuff you guys are doing? How do I? I mean, it sounds funny to us now, you know. But uh, Peter very, very strongly condemns yeah. him because you, you cannot buy this. It's yeah. not something that can be bought and sold. So you should pray right now uh, because you're in deep sin right now. Yeah. But what you're doing? So that's yeah, that's what simony is. Uh, but those guilty of simony were in the eighth circle of hell. So that's how seriously Dante thought that sin was but they were basically uh he describes it as they'd be placed in this tube-like structure head first so their feet are sticking out exposed to flames mm. and the intensity of flames corresponded to their degree of guilt mm. 
Um, so the narrator, who is basically Dante himself, goes up to one of these tubes and says, hey, uh, down there, like, who are you? What did you do to get here? Um, and the man turns, well, he can't turn around, but he asks kind of back up the tube, hey, are you, are you, you sound like Boniface. Are you Boniface? I didn't think he was supposed to be here yet. <laughs> you're early. Right. Yeah. He basically says, you're early. I, I've got like three years to go. Yeah. I mean, if you're. If you're here to replace me, that's fine, because I would like to go further down the tube and not, you know, decrease my punishment and just go wherever it was that he went. Right. But I just thought that was that was very interesting that this is how bad he was to his contemporaries. Right. Is that Dante writes him into the eighth circle of hell. So pretty bad. Well, what did he do? What were some of the things that he did that might have earned him that much scorn? Part of it, I think in reading it, might surround the circumstances of his election. Yeah. So this is in 1294. Um, his po- his predecessor was Pope, I don't know if you say that with a hard C or a soft C, Celestine V, let's say. Right. Um, that's, how it's, that's how it looks. Yeah. At the time of his election, earlier that same year, he was known as Brother Peter. He was a hermit up in the mountains. And they, how did he come to be elected? Well, by this time, the College of Cardinals had been deadlocked for two years. So they had... The situation of what's called uh, sede vacante, which basically the, the seat is vacant. Hmm. So there had been no elected pope for for two years, um, and according to you know some of the sources, Peter you know sends the cardinals a letter. He says, "Hey, you guys better figure this out um, because God is going to judge you for not electing a pope quickly." Yeah. So they just turn around and say, "All right, sounds like you're volunteering for the job," and they elected him. Nice. Um, and initially he said, well, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not coming down out of the mountains. Yeah. Um, eventually they, you know, they sent some more cardinals to convince him, one of whom may have been uh, Boniface himself or Benedetto Caetani. Right. So he comes down. This was actually the last papal election that was outside a papal conclave. This is just kind of as an aside um, in which the cardinals had to stay until a new pope was elected. Right, so that's right. why it took two years. Uh, so they could come and go. I was like, oh, well, we'll get to it when we right. get to it. Um, but obviously, he's been hermit up in the mountains. He's really... Out of touch. He's not cut out for the job. Yeah. Um, he meant well, but he made a number of decisions that really angered the cardinals. They, didn't, they objected to. Um, he set up his seat in the kingdom of Naples. Uh, so outside of the influence of Rome. Right. And he came under influence by the king there, who was Charles the Lame. Although I couldn't find out... I mean, I, I suppose he was lame in some way. And it huh. wasn't just like uh, Charles the Bald. He might have been not bald right. at all. Um, but then December 1294. So what is that? Four months after he's elected? Yeah. He, he does something very questionable. And uh, he resigns. <laughs> now, conveniently, nice. Celestine V's final papal decree was one in which he declared that, guess what? I have discovered that the Pope has the right to resign from his office. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah. One of the men, so obviously he consulted with some, he didn't make this decision just in a vacuum. He consulted with a a number of cardinals um, in reaching the conclusion. And one of those cardinals was none other than Benedetto Caetano. Ah, How about that? Yeah. So um, the papal election began December 23rd, 1294. And it was on Christmas Eve that the cardinals elected Caetano, um, who then took the name Boniface VIII. He takes his seat the following January 1295. Hmm. So it's unclear that he, you know, it's not certain that he, you know, pressured him into it. But if he was giving him the advice that, yes, you can do this, it seems a little self-serving if within a matter of days after this, 
he himself ends up being elected pope. Hmm. A little sus. It's a little suspicious. So maybe maybe there was nothing untoward going on there, but yeah, definitely a little suspicious. And and his first actions probably didn't help either. Oh right, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, hey, don't worry, you can resign. Right. Perfectly legal. Right. Go, go ahead, on. Go we ahead and we do got it. it. We'll like somebody new. Right. Oh, it's me. Arrest that man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so he re- he arrests oh, him. He puts him in prison, and he he dies ten months later at the age of eighty one. So he's an oh, elder. He's an elderly man. Oh, it's terrible. No, and I think it was part of the thinking was the same thinking with uh, Stephen the Sixth and the cadaver scene, yeah. where it's like, hey, we can't have uh, we can't have this former pope mm-hmm. running around, especially someone who may have been fairly influential. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said he decided it was better for him to go to prison. Yeah, so that. That obviously did not endear him to to some people. Yeah, I think the next big action that he uh, takes unum, as pope, yes, unum is sanctum. unum sanctum, uh, which is a bull that he issues in thirteen o two. Among other things, it proclaimed extra ecclesiam nulla salus, and I'm not practicing my Latin pronunciation. Ah, this is this is the uh, now. We would modify this statement. Yes, very slightly. Very slightly. But what but is the translation? Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Right. And and I would say that we would very, very, you know, humbly modify that to say outside of the church, there is no ordinary right. salvation. Yeah. Ordinary means of salvation. Right. Um, because we believe that the church is the ordinary. Now, Christ and God are able to do that which is extraordinary mm-hmm. and, and that's perfectly fine and okay. And we would say, you know, amen and praise yeah. God. Yeah. But the ordinary means is because obviously I, I love, I can't remember who said it, but they said something to the effect of there is one case of salvation by a person who was never baptized, who, who never really did anything to met the thief on the cross. Mm hmm. So that people don't despair. Right, yeah, yeah. But only one. Right. So that people don't become presumptuous. Yeah, that's good. And I can't remember who it was that said it, but yeah, uh, I read good. it recently and I was like, oh man, that is yeah. amazing. And let's see, what he also says here in the same the same bowl, for with, this is a quote, for with truth as our witness, it belongs to spiritual power to establish the terrestrial power and to pass judgment if it has not been good. Furthermore... We proclaim, we declare, we proclaim, we define that it is absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. Whoops, where were we? Yeah. <laughs> we're almost Uh-oh. there. But yeah, it, I mean, most people, and it's really the first part of that that got him in trouble, because what he's saying is, I have authority. I, I'm. He is the spiritual power. Right. And that's. Uh, that's uh, that's severely problematic, um, and I think this goes to that whole the 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 vicar of Christ way of thinking mm-hmm. that they have this godlike authority on the earth, and uh, it's just not it's just not true. But I do agree that the church at large ought to be proclaiming and declaring that yes. when governments or civil authorities are acting in ways that are not in accordance with how God has given them authority. Um, so that's, yeah, I'd agree with that. Oh yeah. 
he appointed new cardinals. I can't bring myself to write that or say that he they were created cardinal. It just sounds weird. I know it's that's proper, and they like you create somebody a duke of whatever right. in England still, but it's it just sounds weird to me. Yeah. Um, he appointed new cardinals in five different occasions. So it's not terribly re- remarkable by itself, um, except that he appointed three of his own nephews. Um, Nothing to see here. Right, yeah. Three nephews and also no French candidates. So it was all Italian cardinals. Mm. Or, well, I didn't check on that. So it could have been, I guess, Italian or, or German or what have you, but definitely no French guys. But again, it goes back to that whole idea of if there were no other authority... And you were the one as an authority, like people, people and, and socialists are, are really, really good at doing this. But I think they're the they are the not scapegoat. They are the the easy target mm, mm-hmm. because it's easy for us to point to them and say, you guys don't. Understand. You can think and say, oh, well, socialism never worked, but we'll do it right because right, yeah, we yeah, are yeah. much better than those other right. people. Yeah. It's like, no, you're just foolish. And for anyone to look at these instances of nepotism and I mean. Listen, I <laughs> I pray that the Lord would not allow me to get to a point where I would be so brash as to do things and say things like this, but it's definitely in me. Oh, yeah. To, to try to be like, oh, that person's not saved. And then just try to, I mean, that's why there are so many passages of the New Testament scriptures where Paul or Peter is telling people, hey, watch your mouth. Yeah. Don't let your tongue get the better of you because it's very easy for that to happen. Yeah. So kind of his uh, view of his power led him to a bunch of, he he was involved in, if there was a political conflict going on in Europe at the time, he was probably involved in it in some, in some capacity. He had a prolonged conflict with uh, Philip IV of France. Uh, That was back and forth and too much to go into here. Uh, He involved himself in a conflict over the throne of the kingdom of Sicily, which at the time was not just the island, but had, you know, on the peninsula there, some possessions. Um, he issued a bull condemning the invasion of Scotland by Edward I of England. Hmm. Um, and if you're, you know, an 80s kid or a 90s kid, you remember the Mel, the Mel Gibson movie Braveheart. That's, so that's all wrapped up in that. Which was 100% accurate, obviously. Obviously, yes, definitely, totally accurate. <laughs> um, but again, all those kind of, they wouldn't have happened and if he didn't have the particular view that he did, um, that he had supremacy in temporal as well as spiritual affairs right yeah yeah so that guy was a piece of work yeah oh yeah but let's again sinner yeah just like us yep absolutely so next up on the bad list before we get to the ugly i think this is the last one right mm-hmm. and oh wow i thought he I thought boniface had a long oh yeah i mean there's more there's probably you know how i did with this yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Paul the Third. Which I put Paul the Third. No, John Pauls. I didn't know there was Pauls. Yeah, I must have skipped over him. Uh, lived from 29th February. Well, what? 29th February. He was leap a leap day. year. Yeah, leap day guy. Oh, that explains a lot. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I don't know. February 1468 to 10 November 1549. Uh, who his, pont- his pontificate was from uh, October 13th of 1534 until his death in 1549. Yeah. Hmm. He is born as Alessandro Farnese. Um, his mother... Oh, that's name which, sounds familiar. Yes, Giovanni, Giovanna <coughs> Caetani. Uh, yes, it's, that's the same Caetani family as Pope Boniface VIII. Hmm. 
just uh, a couple hundred years later. Um, he was educated at the University of Pisa, uh, made Cardinal Deacon by Pope Alexander VI. He keeps coming up. Rodrigo Borgia in 1493. Ah, Alexander VI was the Borgia. That's, that makes yeah. sense. That also makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. So he may ha- he might have, well, and who can say how yes. much influence this happened. But know. it is fairly it's well established that, that uh, um, Alessandro Farnese's sister was one of uh, Rodrigo Borgia's Mistresses? paramours. Yeah, that's 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 a better word. <laughs> yes. So he was involved in a relationship with his sister. And lo and behold, in 1493, he becomes a cardinal. Hmm. Uh, again, suspicious. He's known to have fathered at least four illegitimate children in or about the time. So it's some of these timelines get a little bit uh, hazy of like, well, mm. it's not right to father illegitimate children, regardless of when you take holy orders. Right. But if you've taken a vow to remain celibate and then you do it, well, now you've committed two sins, right? Mm. You've broken a vow as well as committing adultery. Um, yes. So three of his sons were eventually declared legitimate by the Pope. And they did How this. did that happen? How well, do you, how do you, how do you? Un illegitimized right. a child. <laughs> the Pope, I mean, yeah, like uh, like uh, James Carville said, uh, st- stroke of the pen, law of the land mm. kind of deal. Like the mm-hmm. Pope said it, so that's what goes. So, but they would do this frequently because if they were illegitimate, then they could not inherit the family's right, wealth. Right. So to kind of maintain the Farnese family wealth, hey, you guys got to be my, my legitimate sons. Um, he becomes Bishop of Parma in 1509. And that's despite the fact that he would not even be ordained as a priest until 1519. There are no uh, rules. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. what we've established here. Right, In the basically. 1500s, there were no rules. Yep, yep. Uh, he, so Clement VII was his immediate pre- predecessor. He was elected pope. Uh, this is um, uh, Paul III in October of 1534. And that's kind of because he was viewed as like neutral there are these various factions so huh. the medici family which uh, was very prominent in florence extremely powerful during the time you've got the french and then you've got uh charles v the holy roman emperor all kind of like had their candidates and it was kind of like oh paul uh or bishop farnese you know he's he's old he's 66 um so he can just kind of like a placeholder pope that's kind of neutral well, the joke was on them because he lived another 15 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what you get. Yeah. So, and so now, this was after the uh, Reformation. Right. Yes. So he's coming in. Yeah. Right in the in the thick of things. Yeah. For sure. A little bit of turbulence. Yes. Uh, so his nepotism. Oh. <laughs> got a little bit carried away. Yeah. Perhaps. He appointed two of his grandsons as cardinals. Who were only fourteen and sixteen years old? Clearly, cardinal <laughs> material. And uh, about ten years into his rule, he appointed a third grandson as cardinal, who was only fifteen years old. Yeah, they're a family of very quick maturers. Yeah, hopefully, but probably not. Hey, and if that wasn't enough, he appointed several other grandsons yeah. and great grandsons of Alexander the Sixth as cardinals. Yeah. So nepotism all over the place, Yikes. which again, is not, I mean, if presumably what we're presuming here is these teenage boys are not qualified for the job. They're put, he's putting them in there because it is a position of power and he's trying to grow the power of his family at the expense of what is best for the church. Right. Yeah. And again, this is, this is, uh, I mean, this is 
exactly the kind of stuff which is what led to the Reformation. I mean, obviously there was a lot of stuff building up to it, but you just see that this is a lot of a lot of uh, this office is you're going to get corruption because you have such sinful men trying to essentially play God and mm-hmm. to be ruler over a church when which Christ is the ruler. Yeah, Excuse not me. good stuff. No, um, he really does. This is this is really when the Counter Reformation mm. gets up and going um, in earnest. So he commissions the re- but at the beginning of that he commissions a report. It's the Concilium de Emendanda Ecclesia. Basically, look at the church's finances and let's see what's going on. So he actually, you know, was taking one of the objections of the Reformations, mm-hmm. the Protestants, um, to say, hey, yeah, actually, maybe we do have some financial abuses that are going on. So let's, hey, let's look into that. So he commissions this report. Um, Luther gets the report and writes a, a book in response to it, basically <laughs> like mocking it. And the result was that Paul Luther would never do such no, a thing. No, not not good old Martin. Um, but I, I mean, I guess he 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 knew what he's talking about because Paul take you know the Pope takes the recommendations and he puts none of it into effect. Hmm. Um, so I said, yeah, let's let's look at this. Let's commission a report. Like I'm not. No, we're not doing that. It was during his reign that the Congregation of the Holy Office of the Inquisition Uh-oh. was instituted and reorganized. So that's when you see that coming back. Um, 1545, 1546 is where uh, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, goes to war to put down Protestantism within his realms. He asks, reaches out to Paul III for help, which initially he's, you know, kind of pussyfoots around a little bit and doesn't help him. Um, but he did take the war in Germany as an opportunity to increase the land holdings and wealth of his son, uh, Pierre Luigi, who at the time was uh, a duke. And he got him in another duke, two dukedoms actually, mm. um, and this is significant because those dukedoms actually belonged to the papal states. Yikes! So he's, he's kind of carving off uh, land from the papacy to give it to his family. Um, now, supposedly there was a trade, but it was obvious like mm. these are these are good lands. These are what the papacy got back in return was was right. considered far less. But he kind of was able to get Charles V to. Uh, acquiesced to that because he said, yeah, hey, what's going to happen is, yes, the Duke's going to send you troops after Mm -hmm. this happens, so just, you know, bide your time and you'll get the help you've been asking for, which is again, terrible, and it's just corrupt. There's no other word for it. It reminds me of a certain vice president threatening to withhold a billion dollars from somebody unless they fired (laughs) another person. I don't know what what you're talking about. I don't either. (laughs) Um, he, so again, uh, approved the formation of the society of Jesus, which is the Jesuits and they've, I mean, they're kind of an interesting group. They are an interesting and group. And a very, a mixed bag, I would yep. say. Yeah. I think that's fair. In recent day, in recent years, I think they've, they've kind of become like a theologically liberal, liberal influence within the Catholic to, church. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. I think that's accurate. Uh, yeah. Not at the time, not at the time, not no. in the 16th century. Um, but yeah, a lot of schools established missionary efforts, those kind of things. So Paul III, he was actually not Pope at the time of Henry VIII's divorce and remarriage from his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Um, which was I thought it was Catherine a Spanish Par- one. Yeah. Uh, oh, Catherine of Aragon. Oh, okay. Me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it sounds better. Yes. Yeah, so okay. uh, remember, Clement VII was the Pope before uh, Paul III, and Clement VII says, "Hey, you, Henry, you can't do that." 
Um, I'm going to give you a year to go back to your wife. One, you have one year or, el or else. Uh, well, obviously that year came and went. He didn't go back to his wife. Uh, but in the meantime, Clement VII died. Hmm. So by the time the year was up, uh, Paul III was then in office. And he's actually the one who carries out the sentence uh, of excommunicating Henry VIII. Hmm. Um, although then he would be... That was kind of like a two-step process. Like, you're excommunicated. Like, and then came back a couple of years later. And we really mean you're super-duper excommunicated now. Yeah. So <laughs> there were two papal bulls, I think, issued against him. Oh, this is this is cool. He also deemed that Native Americans were men. Yes. They were human. Yes. How about that? I know. Um, so that's, yeah, he issued the bull Sublimis, Sublimis Deus, 1537, yeah. Said not only were they truly men, in his words, or at least in the translation, but yeah. they're capable of understanding Christianity, and we have indications that they are willing to receive it. So our job is to go there to bring them Christianity, or at least the Roman Catholic Church's version of it. Um, so the Pope forbid Catholics from enslaving them or from taking their properties. Like if you find these native inhabitants, you got to leave them alone. You right. can, you can go and preach to them, but you can't take their lands. You can't make them slaves. They are men like us. But if they weren't human, then you can enslave them. Well, that's kind of like this, this part of it is actually like, that's good. Right. It's good that he did this. Yes. However, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, yeah, I mean, you have the transatlantic slave trade that's going on. Yeah. And or at least getting getting started up. And he also, I think, specifically said it's OK to, if we get uh, Muslim slaves from Middle East. Right. If there's, you know, uh, a crusade or something like mm. you can keep you can enslave those people. Right. And I'm mm. sure they have some kind of distinction that they draw there. But it, I don't probably think not a good one. Far. No, nah, probably not a good been, one. Uh, it wouldn't pass the smell test, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Uh, all right, so we're going to go to Pope John, uh, some honorable mentions for uh, ugly. Let's so get on to the uglies. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the uglies. <laughs> uh, Pope Alexander VI, Spanish-born pontiff from the powerful Borgia family. Pope Alexander VI was infamous for his libertine behaviors and mm. nepotism. Mm -hmm. The latter was unsurprising. After all, his uncle was Pope Calixtus III, who had paved the way for Alexander's eventual ascension. Uh, he was Pope from 1492 to 1503. The intrigues, orgies, and skullduggery that took place during his pontificate were enough to lead to a recent Showtime TV series, mm -hmm. which reveled in the debaucheries and conspiracies of the Borgia family. Suggestions persist to this day that Alexander engaged in incest with his daughter Lucretia. When he died, his body rapidly decomposed and bloated, leading to suspicions of poisoning. Yeah, he is. Uh, and I, I, I obviously I have not seen the Showtime. Yeah, series, I haven't either. And I don't plan to. Nah. I'm, I'm sure it's no on. <laughs> it's on Showtime for a reason. Right, right. Uh, but I became yeah, I became aware of it, and we mentioned this when we talked with uh, fight. Yeah, Jason. Jason. Yeah, yeah. Um, we mentioned him. So, uh, actually, there was a, a book. It was started by Mario Puzo, um, who wrote Godfather. Mm. Uh, it's called The Family. And I listened to an audiobook years ago. So, I can't, I can't vouch for what's in it. So, don't, don't go looking for it right. because it might not be something that you want to read. But it, it bears out all of that stuff that you just described there. Yeah. Um, not, not in graphic detail, but the, the facts. facts of it. Yeah. Know? So, not – yeah, definitely – a, a stain on on the church to say the least yeah 
and a uh, second honorable mention, Pope John the Twelfth. Pope John the Twelfth was uh, pope from nine five five until his untimely death in nine six four. He had a very, very, very bad reputation. Mm. According to the Catholic Encyclopedia, he was a coarse, immoral man whose life was such that the Lateran was spoken of as a brothel, and the moral corruption in Rome became the subject of general odium. Mm. Uh, was eventually accused of perjury, simony, and other crimes, and was briefly deposed before sweeping back to power in a bloody purge. Mm. John's death was curious. He was apparently killed by a man who had found the Pope in bed with his wife uh, in midst of committing adultery. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, that's, yeah, definitely ugly. ugly. Definitely ugly. Yep. Well, this is another one. I don't know, with any of these things, it's not like, who was really, this is, they're really the they're worst. They're all you really, have, really bad. They're all really, really bad. This is well, one that. Not every ahead. single one, but. Yeah, the, the bad, when they're bad, they're They're horrid. really bad. Yeah. And we mentioned Benedict IX the last time. Uh, but we didn't get. I just gave a quick little overview. Mm-hmm. He lived from 1012 to 1056. So again, another 11th century guy. He was born as Theophylactus of Tusculum, another Italian guy. Uh, so again, on the theme, son of an Italian nobleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was related to several popes, and uh, no, numerous ones, like half a dozen. Uh, but they included John the 19th and Benedict the 8th, both of whom were his uncles. Then this is according to the Catholic Encyclopedia. Quote. He was a disgrace to the chair of Peter. Like, that's in the first two sentences wow. of the entry. He became uh, Pope in 1034, basically after... 1032. His... Oh, yeah, 1032, sorry. Um, basically after his father attain- obtained it for him through bribery. <sighs> so he's about 20 years old at the time. Some sources say that he was 12 at the time. Uh, but I think the consensus now that is that, no, he's actually more like 20. Goodness. Still, that e- even still, young. that makes him the youngest Pope uh, wow. of all time. And that's we haven't even got to what he did as pope. Yeah. Um, and it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, a later pope would write that his life as a pope was so vile, so foul, so execrable that I shudder to think of it. Um, so they accused him of everything under the book. Um, but it was so bad that he was forced out of Rome by rebellious factions. Not once, not twice. Quote, but, rebellious frac- factions. Yeah, yeah. Probably For, biblically yeah, you know, yeah, sound people. Three times, three times he was forced out of Rome. Goodness. Um, the first time he was expelled from the city in ten, uh, excuse me, after he was expelled from the city in ten forty four, which was actually the second time he was expelled, uh, the bishop of Sabina was elected to replace him. Hmm. Uh, he reigned for only for a few months as Sylvester the third, because Benedict the ninth came back to the city in uh, March or April of ten forty five. And expelled him from the city and excommunicated him. And that's spring of 1045. By May 1045. So, so <laughs> just really quick. Sure. This is like less than 10 years away from the Great Schism. Mm. And it's hard for me to not think like, I mean, you look at the different councils and it's like, goodness gracious, if things like this were going on, it's Can you blame them? only the grace of God <laughs> that there were ever any right. Yeah. Things that were done in in concerning doctrines. Oh yeah. Oh like, man. No, we've got to preserve the doctrine mm-hmm. of Christ or of God, and and you know the ten fifty four you know split was over something else, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, it, it just goes to show, right, right? That this is only by the grace of God that 
it, I mean, whenever humans are involved, there's always going to be some kind of ugliness. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so, pretty bad. Absolutely. He gets he gets back to Rome <clears throat> in the spring of 1045. By May of 1045, um, he felt, you know, maybe understandably not too great about what he was going to remain in power. Am I the problem? <laughs> no. It's no. The, it's the kids. <laughs> also, he wanted to get married. And uh. he knew he couldn't do that if he was pope. Um, so he consults with his godfather, John Gratian, who was an archbishop, and he agreed to resign the papacy as long as he could be reimbursed, wow. air quotes, for the expenses, air quotes, of his election. Oh, right, because he bought it. Right, his father bought it for him. Hmm. So, But he gets that agreement, the reimbursement, um, and he steps down. And after that, John, his grandfather, is elected pope <laughs> as Gregory VI. Yeah, I mean, some of these things almost leave you speech speechless. But he was to come back again. So oh it's goodness. the return of the return. Um, he regretted his decision. Maybe, p- perhaps. Married life wasn't going so well. Yeah, that and it's possible he didn't actually get the payout he was looking for. Mm. Or at least not all of it. Um, he returns to Rome. He says, hey, hey guys, I'm back. I'm Pope again. Um, and this is despite the fact that Gregory VI didn't go away. Wow. Like So Benedict just kind of comes back into the city and like picks up like nothing had changed. Like Michael Scott when he goes away for he's like he's like I'm gonna move to New York I'm gonna get a promotion <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and he comes I'm back <laughs> uh, oh no so uh, to make matters worse around the same time um, Sylvester the third comes mm. back so he was oh the guy gosh. who was, yeah so he says no I'm Pope <laughs> so you've got I'm Spartacus right yeah you've got three guys all of them claiming to be the Pope mm. um, and this results in the calling of a council in December of 1046 convoked by the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, Henry III. My goodness. Yeah, so it's the, they hold the Council of Sutri, and their decision was that Benedict and Sylvester had no claim to the papacy. Um, Sylvester was found to be a usurper, and he was ordered to be stripped of his office, confined to a monastery for life, which sentence doesn't look like it was actually carried out. But they said, like, you, your election was totally invalid. Like, Benedict had not been... He didn't step down. He hadn't been deposed. He just left the city because, yeah. you know, people chased him out. So that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. You don't get to chase away the Pope and then say, I'm Pope now. Um, I thought this was really interesting. So despite the fact that they said he's a usurper, um, he is not listed as an anti-Pope in the Catholic Church's current list of list of Popes. Like mm. They count him for some reason that is unclear to me. The other decision of the council was they said Benedict had no claim to the seat since he he left. Hey, look, you resigned. And we accept your resignation. <laughs> yes, we accept. We gladly accept that resignation. But they said, hey, Gregory, you got to resign too because it's our finding that you obtained the office by simony. You bought it and we can't have that. So you need to resign too, which he did. And the council then went on to elect a German bishop as the new pope. He took office as Clement II on December 25th, 1046. So you would think that would be the opportunity for Benedict to ride off into the sunset. (laughs) At least I didn't get burned at the stake or what have you. Um, But he didn't. So first of all, he didn't go to the council. He didn't attend, even though he was summoned. And not surprisingly, he did not accept the decision of the council. Of course. Uh, Much like Anakin Skywalker, I guess. Hmm. So when Clement II dies in October 1047, so less than a year later, uh, Benedict comes right back to Rome. He seizes the Lateran Palace and he says, I'm back again. It's me, the Pope. 
(laughs) (laughs) But again, it would not last. He is driven out of Rome for the third and final time in 1048. He was excommunicated in 1049. Curiously, he was not excommunicated the first time, but in any event, they charged him with simony and he didn't show up. So he said, that's it for you, buddy. You're out and excommunicated him. Um, Yikes. There may be... So obviously it's just awful, like all kinds of corruption. And you think about it, a guy who comes to that much power at the age of 20. Yeah, of course. That's a problem. I want it back. Yeah, right. I was out of my mind. Give it back to me. Yeah. So he may have, he may have at the very end repented. Uh, It's not clear, but he's buried in an abbey southeast of Rome. And one of the guys there apparently wrote something indicating that he may have at the very end repented of all the many and various sins that he committed during his turbulent years in, of the of his papacy. So who knows? Um, hopefully he did repent. Yeah. Oh, and that's, and that's a good, a good place to insert the true meaning and the power of the gospel. I mean, it seems very clear through reading the stories of these men that there was no Bible in their life at all. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no training. There's no theocratic train or theological training uh, whatsoever. And so, they they bore the fruit of that mm-hmm. and so when when christ enters into the unbelieving heart and is causes them to be reborn all of their sins mm. are transferred to the cross mm-hmm. and there's no one that is beyond that salvation yeah. no human being is beyond mm-hmm. that salvation mm-hmm. amen to that that was a great segue that was yeah. impressive that's a that's a pro move right there <laughs> Well, we're at about we're a little over an hour, ah, so I wanna, think I think maybe we want to do a her- healers and heretics on this guy. Yeah, I was gonna say he he really could be a whole, whole be a episode. whole episode to himself. He's that significant. I yeah, think. I think you're right. So I think we'll call it there, um, and hopefully this has been helpful. Just kind of walking through some of the popes and big takeaway I think is like. They're just men. They're, Absolutely. They're, they're men who are prone to sin just like the rest of us. And some, as we said, did good. And we should acknowledge that. And some did horrible evils. Yeah. And we shouldn't, uh, we, we can't, it can't be swept under the rug. No, absolutely not. Um, but at the same time, you know, remembering the gospel. Yeah. That we're, well, one, each of us are fully capable of all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy when you're a person without any type of means or power right. to judge the actions of yeah. those that have yeah. both mm-hmm. and say, oh, I would never do that. Right. Uh, no, yeah, you would. Yeah. You very likely mm-hmm. would. Yeah. So, you know, continue to recognize that Christ is Lord and, and repent and repent often and uh, trust in Christ alone. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all for us today. Um, we hope you have enjoyed this uh, walk through some of the popes. I look forward to hitting up our last topic for a separate episode of Heroes and Heretics and then yeah. not, hopefully not too distant future. Yeah. And in all the right. meantime, uh, hopefully, you know, reach out to us, uh, Facebook, Twitter, oh, we gotta go email. That, that thing that JC sent us about the... Um, yeah. We got to dig into that. And then also someone was asking recently about uh, Carrie be another here oh okay yeah yeah that would be good all right just cover the time period and him specifically yeah we got some ideas oh yeah i like it all right until next time then yeah take care